Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. We help you build a thriving creative practice. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza! You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's get into today's episode. I really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new Fluid Engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site. Anyway, go check it out, anyjpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Yushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. Okay, on the show today, we have one of my all-time favorite people, Meg Lewis. This is Meg's second time on the show. Her first episode is one of our top five episodes of all time in terms of listenership, and it's not a surprise at all because this episode, like that one, is full of insight and pep about how to find yourself creatively. Meg helps individuals find their voice and personal brand, and she helps brands find their true brand, their true selves as a brand designer. This is episode two in our series highlighting the artists on the roster of my new company, CoLoop, that I founded with my agent, Ryan Appleton. If you don't know already, CoLoop is an artist management agency, and Meg is one of our six incredible artists. Uh, let's get into the show, but um, first, we're going to go to this little intro that I recorded with my co-founder, Ryan Appleton. We wanted to record this intro to share some insights into building your practice 
on your creative voice and not on your medium or style or trends. These ideas completely fundamentally change the way that I approach my creative career. That's why I don't think of it like I'm an illustrator or a podcast or, or whatever. I think on a deeper level of who am I? What do I want to do? What's my heart about? And then I can ebb and flow with uh, how that manifests over time. Um, these were huge ideas for me. I hope they are for you too. Here we go. Hey, man. Hey, Andy. <laughs> uh, thanks for doing this again. Uh, we're here. I'm here with Ryan Appleton, my co co founder in the Co Loop collaborative cooperative. I'm a- Co-host, co-founder in the co-loop, and we're going to collaborate on this episode. That's that's right. Uh, So if you don't know, this is our second episode of our co-loop series. Ryan and I started a artist management and an artist management representation agency called CoLoop. You can go learn more about it at CoLoop.co and CoLoopCo on Instagram. And Twitter. and Twitter, and today we're here talking about our uh, another member from our roster. Who is it? The incomparable Meg Lewis. Damn right. Uh, nobody's a bigger fan of Meg Lewis than me and you, uh, I, I think. Um, we absolutely celebrate her creative genius, her design genius, her comedy genius. Uh, she is, you know, even as we were preparing for this episode. I've been working on the portrait for the episode art. And I've kind of just been, the more I soak up all of her creative content, the the more impressed I am. I'm just like, man, she is such a funny, interesting uh, character with so much depth and so much, so unique. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. There's something that's just like a ray of, sunshine about meg right she's like so ball of energy i guess you guys are in this the same in that way but yes. she has this d- distinct personality that's all of her all of her own i don't know if this is going too far to say it but i often feel like she's my sister i don't know <laughs> i don't know if that's too far but i definitely i feel like we're long lost siblings in many ways are we we're different we're very different just as siblings are but there's just something it's uh, the first time we actually had our first talk at a conference, the same conference. And she went on before me. And I remember being like looking around in the audience being like, is anybody seeing this amazing thing that's happening? And then afterwards I ran up to her and I was like, you're going to be big kid. You're going to be big. See, like, I don't know if I had that voice, but that was (laughs) exactly what I was feeling. Okay, I couldn't be more excited for this interview, but I'm also excited that um, each of this Co-Loop series has um, provided a impromptu impression by you. The first episode was Winston <laughs> Churchill. Um, <laughs> yeah, and that other one was a bad guy from the 1920s or something. Yeah, um, like a Dick Tracy comic yeah. book or something. Yeah. Uh, um, let, let's let's talk ahead. Meg's personality for a second, though. I think Let's do that. I think, you know, we wanted to, to kind of touch on core co-loop values um, at the beginning of each one of these interviews and really pull out those threads and really dive into that, you know, pre-interview, kind of set the stage in that way. And I think Meg 
kind of more than anyone is a, is like the lipness test. She is like a beacon for what a distinct creative voice means. Like that yes. just kind of radiates her from her, from her work and from her personality and everything she shares online. Absolutely. So when we like this agency, Coloop, we built it on core values that you and I share that we have talked about, thought about, you know, uh, solidified over the time. And one of the biggest, if not the main core value is that the artists that we represent have a very clear artistic voice. They're deeply in touch with it and they radiate it, not just through one medium of their choice, but everything that they do is dripping with who they are as a person. And you're exactly right. Like nobody does that quite like Meg. Absolutely, wholeheartedly. And I, I just want to underline something that I, I talk about all the time, you know, to other artists or I want to have conversations, especially with maybe younger freelance artists. And that's this idea that uh, kind of first and foremost, I think the most important thing is that distinct creative voice, that establishing of a personal brand that's really ref reflective of what you do and who you are. Because in 2020 and, in, in, you know, the modern commercial advertising art industry, I think the best billboard for an artist's work will always be the artist. Yeah. Like clients want to, um, the clients that approach, you know, us at Coloop are approaching us to say, I want to work with Meg Lewis because of we, because we know who Meg Lewis is, or I want to work yeah. with Andy J pizza. I want to work with Lauren Holmes and so on because they know that artist's distinct creative voice. They, they know what they have to say and they want exactly that. That is the best billboard for getting client work. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that, uh, you know, I talk about this idea on the podcast a lot, but I heard Tim Goodman say, you know, everybody wants to find a style. Everyone wants to know how should I make what I make? And he would say, don't focus on that. Focus on not on the how, but the what, what do you want to say? Because your form is going to follow the function of your message. 100%. And I think this is the thing that we keep going back with this, uh, this group of artists is, you know, a lot of people will get stuck in trends. They'll get stuck in a particular medium. And in fact, there's so much talk in the creative community about craft, which I believe in. But I, I think deeper than that is your own intuition. And so, because sometimes your level of craft gets in the way of your taste because you get so bogged down in, in the, the nuance of getting everything perfect and right. And I feel like for me, always going back to that intuition, always starting on the starting block of who am I? What's my artistic voice? What's my intuition? Uh, and, and, to, and, and then if you do that, you can weather all of the changes of mediums and trends and every all of those storms that are going to come through the creative world. And all of our artists do this. But I think uh, one of the best examples uh, is Meg. 100%. Again, I, you, you said it better than I ever could. That's exactly what I was <laughs> wanting to touch on. Or at on. least more long-winded than Absolutely. you do. Uh, I was going to touch on, like, <laughs> it's not about style, like, to further define what creative voice is. It's not about trends or even the medium. It's really about knowing who you are, knowing what you want want to say, what you have to say, and putting it out there in the in the best way possible. Um, yes. And so that way it, it can overcome things like design trends or um, it's not about – you know, a client or a brand wanting to work with a hand letterer, they want, yeah. they want that distinct person. You know, they, they approach Lauren, just an example with hand lettering because of who she is and what she's established that she has to say. 
I, yes. I think that's really important for all artists in kind of moving forward with their careers in the future. Yeah, the most uh, the the most foolproof that your artistic practice can be is if you build it on the foundation of artistic voice because social platforms will change where people get, you know, it doesn't matter if I'm making a podcast or an Instagram TV or a YouTube or a Instagram piece or it doesn't matter. All those things are going to come and go and they're not really important. And, you know, learning the, the ins and outs of them is important for for the time, but not investing your whole artistic practice in, in one of those places is a really good move. And I feel like Meg, she has so much diverse creative content. She, she you know, she filters this artistic force through so many different lenses, and she's very you know medium agnostic in that way. And that's what we're all about. And that's that's why we're uh, that's why we wanted to highlight that core value for this episode. And we get into that even more in the episode. I know Meg talks about kind of combing through everything in her personality to really distill that down and produce, you know, her best possible work. And I think that comes through in in her courses like Full Time You. It definitely yeah. comes through in her podcast, Sit There and Do Nothing. Um, it even comes through in, in the Dribble Overtime podcast, which she's the host of now. I think all of that is a, a clear reflection. Like it's not, it's not watered down Meg. You get the full Meg Lewis experience in, in everything she does. She's also an expert in helping not just other people find their own voice, but brands. I think that we get into this a little bit in the episode, but what makes uh, Meg such a brilliant brand designer and why I think uh, the brands that she works with really shine is because she helps them find their voice in a deeper way than other brand designers that I've seen. And I think, uh, you know, she helped us develop our Co-Loop brand. She was the co-creator of the brand with Ade Hogue, one of our other artists. And she, that's what she did for us. She helped find the fun, but professional, this, this, this thing that we didn't even fully uh, articulate she helped us find and I think it's she has such a deep sense of cutting through the crap and the in the uh, the periphery and and the veneer and, and getting to what's the real heart of this thing she helps people do it for themselves with her full-time use uh, class and she helps brands do it as a brand designer we both love fully the Kalu brand that Ade and Meg help design together um yes. and in the in the fu near future we'll unveil how the the brand system is actually dynamic and a reflection and interpret interpreted by all the artists we represent but uh, just a funny little fact about meg is that you know uh, the final brand design features the loop you know this core symbol that represents the collaborative relationship between yeah. artist agency and client um but the earlier version of that was called the squishy and I just think that's so representative of like Meg, but also her extracting this personal and friendly side of, of what we wanted the agency to be to come up with this idea for a logo that was, you know, coined squishy. The, the squishy. If you go to the episode art of this podcast, you'll see the quote unquote squishy in the top right hand corner. That's the co-loop mark um, that, that Meg helped unearth from me and Ryan's soul. Uh, and, it, and we freaking yes. love that mark and we love what Ade did with it as well. Um, yeah, I'm super pumped to bring you this awesome conversation. You got anything to add to that? I don't. Let's get to it. Let's go. Uh, so... <laughs> so okay what 
What did 2019, what happened this year? Well, I, so my career, I do so many different things. Mm -hmm. And to most people that's confusing. And to me, I like that it's confusing. I like that I do something that nobody else is doing because when you smush all the things that I do together, it's a career that's completely unlike anybody else's. Yeah. But I realized this year that it's so confusing to people that they don't know what I do at mm. all. Mm. So yeah. they're like, I think you have a co-working space and I think you used to be a designer and now you're doing events. And so if I ask different people what they think I do, I always get a different answer. And a lot of people are usually confused. And I used to think that was a great thing until this year I just stopped getting inquiries for client work for the first time in my career. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, uh, the first response in my brain to that was like, oh, I'm over. I'm bad. I'm terrible. People don't want to work with me anymore. The industry has moved on without me. I'm old news. (laughs) And, uh, And so I had to try to get past that, but it was really hard to, I kind of sunk into it for a while and try to think of what else can I do? That's not designed since nobody wants me anymore for that. (laughs) And so I tried, you know, I was like just focusing a lot more of my time on the other things that I do, like teaching workshops and giving talks and starting new businesses and running my workspace and, And that was really nice, but the problem with that was that all of those things are the things that pay me less money, and the client work is really what I need to survive. Mm -hmm. And so I just tried to figure out how to make more money off of those things and got a little bummed that I wasn't designing anymore. The only things I was designing were for myself, which is great, but it's I find designing for myself really easy because I'm a great client. I love everything I make. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm just I like, you, you deserve to have a break and eat pizza rolls. You've done a good job. Wow. 20 yeah. minutes of design approved. <laughs> Self. I love that. I love, I love just, I just pictured a whole, you know, to a doppelganger and everything of your mate put moving some pixels and then the other Meg's like, whoa, great work. Good job, and, buddy. <laughs> that's awesome. You deserve a treat. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> whenever I design for clients, I do better work because they push me harder than I push myself. <laughs> So, I yeah. I this just, is a myth. This nobody says that. I say yeah. That nobody does too. say that. I say, like I'm not. Sometimes I think um, there's uh, there are situations in which that's not true. But a lot of times they they're holding you to a high standard because they have a bunch of people that they need to get a pass on. And there's a, I, the, I've done a ton of things at a higher level that I wouldn't have done without clients. So absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of a one trick pony too. Um, (laughs) I use the same colors. I use the same fonts. I use the same things over and over again, whenever I'm designing for myself and whenever I design for a client, you know, of course they're like, can you try a different color? (laughs) You know, they're like, they make me do, uh, they push me outside of my, my comfort zone a little bit more, which is good. Um, yeah. And, and I always thought that, Someday I would stop doing client work, but Mm -hmm. I wanted it to be on my terms. I didn't want it to be on the industry's terms or Mm -hmm. other people's terms. So once I was just kind of not doing client work anymore because nobody was asking me to, I got really bummed out about that. Mm -hmm. And so I just asked a lot of people like that are also freelancers. When you assess my work and assess my social media and the stuff that I'm putting out there, why do you think I'm not getting work anymore? Which was a really scary question to ask Mm. people. Yeah. And everyone's response was that they just thought I wasn't doing it anymore. They thought I had moved on to a lot of other things and that wasn't something I was offering anymore. And then I thought, Oh, oops, (laughs) my bad. Cause I had forgotten to remind 
the world that I am a freelance designer. Yeah. And as soon as I started doing that again, I got work. And I realized that it's totally a little bit selfish of me to have just sat back and waited for things to roll in on my own Mm -hmm. all, all of these years. And now I, so this year I've been asking for things I want. I've been reminding the world that I exist more often. Yeah. And as soon as I've done those things, I'm getting a lot more than I've ever gotten. And so it turned around this year in the most amazing way because for the first time I really had to fight hard for myself to succeed. Yep. And in the work that I do, and I'm sure yours is the same way, it's such a reflection of our souls and what, what we love to yeah. do and what we have fun doing yep. that a lot of the times it feels like it's not work. It feels like things are just falling into place and, and things are just happening, but it's really, it technically is very hard work. We're yeah. doing stuff that most people can't do and we're fighting hard for ourselves, but I had to, it felt like I was fighting really hard this year because I was doing things that were scary for me and out of my comfort zone. And that was great because it, it showed me that I had nothing to be afraid of. This stuff of asking for things I want or reaching out to people and asking for work was something I'd always been too afraid to do. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I did it, I realized, oh, this is, I can actually do things I want to do now. And I'm getting more opportunities because I'm putting myself out there and doing something I had been afraid to do. And what was I afraid of this whole time? Cause it works really well. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. And actually <clears throat> it mirrors my experience. Uh, 100%. I have, uh, I've been thinking a lot about this lately of what are you projecting who you are, what you do, how important that is. I, I was thinking about, um, like typecasting. Like, do you know the dad from family matters? Oh yeah. What's his name? Carl? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Carl Winslow. Yep. Carl Winslow, and he plays a cop in that, <clears throat> but he also played a cop in Die Hard. That's right. And <clears throat> that's not uncommon. Like, this is just a, th- this ha- like, especially these people that are just like working actors and they're not like the A-listers. Yes. And even for the A-listers, it happens, but less so. People that are just working actors, they get the same kinds of roles. And if you want to shake that up, you're going to have to throw out, you're going to have to communicate something different of this is who I am, which, you know, sometimes looks like writing your own roles or, you know, taking uh, lower paychecks to shift up how people think about you. And I think for me... I didn't realize that uh, about a year, probably over a year and a half ago, um, I shifted my outward push from uh, business to business, so like client stuff, to business to customer. And I did it because I wanted to up my Instagram game. So like a, almost a year and a half ago, I just started really looking at Instagram, looking at what I liked doing, what my audience liked, maximizing that because I wanted to, um, that's just what I wanted to do, but I didn't realize how different that work would be to client work and what that would say about who I am and what I'm doing. And I had a very similar experience to you and I'm not, I don't know exactly what I want to do with that information, but I, but I'm thinking about it all the time. I'm thinking, I'm realizing you have to be aware of what are you communicating about who you are, what you're about what you do for a living, you know, whatever. Absolutely. And I think it's, it's, it can be very exhausting to constantly have to remind the world that you exist. Yeah. True. It's hard. And, and a lot of people are afraid to be self-employed or freelance or whatever, because of that, it feels 
not natural to most people to mm-hmm. be, you know, praising themselves yeah. all the time. Yep. And I like your approach and I've been trying to do more of this lately is making things for other people that are a reflection of who you are that mm-hmm. you might share with them in common. So, right. and that perspective helps me a lot of, of how can I communicate who I am and what I do in a way that's also helping other people so that they get something out of it as well. That way I'm not just like, hello, here's this project I did. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Do you have, do you have specific examples of what you mean by that? Yeah. I'm trying to do stuff like, so I, I combed through my personality and tried to pick out little traits about myself that other people might share. So uh-huh. even if it's a small subset, like recently I did a post about how I'm an award losing designer and I've decided to just <laughs> claim that persona <laughs> of being an, an, an award losing uh, designer. Awesome. So I, I made something about it and just, you know, am proud of, of being that person (laughs) and, uh, in hopes that other people would then, you know, identify with that as well and get excited about that. Um, that's amazing. People love sharing their similarities and I, I really like, I like to push that forward and that way I can kind of remind the people, the world that I'm designing and that I offer services, but it's in a fun abstract way. That's not so salesy and pushing that in their faces, which makes me feel more comfortable. I love that. And, uh, we have, I have a series for the podcast that I'm working on for the new year. Um, that's partially about doing exactly what you're talking about, where I've been going through, I've realized that the difference between, um, a, a bad artist and a good artist, like an amateur and a pro is often like skills and, you know, learning to be up to snuff on different things. But the difference between the good and the great is something else that's kind of abstract and was hard for me to pin down. Like why, does this person who has very similar work, similar skills, uh, is so much less palatable than this person who's just exploded? And the thing, and the thing that came, uh, the thing I kind of took away from that was that the person that has the difference between the good and the great is that the great has a very, very clear sense of who they are, and they communicate it really clearly so that their audience can use them and their work as shorthand for who they who they are and kind of learn who they are by seeing it in this person. Uh, and then who they follow is also part of their identity. So, you know, these people, these great artists exemplify what they're about. So it's an extension of how they see themselves. And so I love this idea. What... Um, you, do you want to respond to that or you can do both that and tell me when you were combing through, I love combing through stuff, yeah. um, what stuff you were picking out. Yeah. So this topic is so interesting to me because I, and this is something I've always struggled with because I'm not a technically talented designer hey. and I know that. Um, I'm good at some things and I'm, but I'm not good at most things. So you've got you... an incredible eye for composition and color, by the way, I love all your personal stuff. I've been especially, uh, appreciating your branding for other, other companies. Mm. Like it's phenomenal. It's very my taste. It's yes. delicious. Thank you. Love it. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm really good at type but not making my own type. I'm good right. at using other people's type yeah. and with color and making things that are, that are extremely impactful and very clean. Yes. And 
And I know that those are the things that I'm good at. And for many years as a freelancer, I was really frustrated looking at other people's work and saying they're so good at illustration. They're so good at whatever Photoshop or like doing different effects, gradients, shading, all of that. Yeah. And thinking I am so bad at it. And it was really frustrating and heartbreaking for me to keep trying to do it. And Mm -hmm. it didn't feel right. And it wasn't coming out as good as the work I was seeing. Yeah. And once I was able to just sit down and say, okay, what are you good at? And how can you package it in a way that's refreshing and unlike anybody else? And it was a matter of being consistent with what I was good at and Mm -hmm. and really going 100% on that and only that. And that way I was creating a style that was totally unique to myself whenever I took all of the things that I was good at and put them together. Yeah. Then I was able to create a recognizable style um, that was unique to me that I'm sure other people look at and they think, wow, I wish I was better at Mm. this kind of thing. And and it's really comforting to finally get to a place where I'm okay with that and I'm excited about that. So I'm no longer comparing myself to other people and that feels really really good. And so whenever I do see somebody else's work, I can, I can look at it and say, wow, they're so good at whatever hand lettering, which is I'm garbage at. So if I see somebody that's great at at that thing that I've always been really naturally bad at, Mm -hmm. I can think about how I'd like to work with them someday, or maybe we can collaborate together. Or if a client asks me for brand design and they end up needing a direction that's hand lettered and I Obviously, I can't do that. So then I'll bring somebody in. Yeah. And that's really fun. And it'll make a far better outcome than I would have been able to make on my own. Yeah, I love that. Um, <clears throat> when you were combing, back to the combing. Yes, the uh, combing. <laughs> uh, what, what were the, <clears throat> you said the award losing designer. What were the other, <laughs> I love that. Um, what were the other buckets or things that came up to you, for you about how you started to think about who am I and how can I communicate to that to other people? Yeah. So I had to figure out like, what are the things that I can offer other people that are so unique to me that are a reflection of who I am? Yeah. That's not necessarily just showing projects that I've done for other people. So how can I start creating my own stuff for the purposes of social media. And that was a really fun exercise because there are a lot of things you can use with, so like we, we don't just have images anymore. We can do videos and yeah. that's really awesome to me and you having fun with audio as well. So whenever I was combing through, I was kind of just assessing not necessarily from an engagement standpoint of what performs the best. Yeah. I was trying to find what I could be doing <clears throat> that other people aren't necessarily doing and what I've been doing so far that seems really unique to me because it's easy. Like if I post a picture of my living room, yeah. for example, people yeah. love interiors. So if I post a picture of my living room, it gets far better engagement than anything I do, right. <laughs> which is very frustrating you have to a me good living room. because in my old house and in my, in previous homes and apartments and all of that, I've always had living rooms that are very like reflective of whatever the trend is at the time. Yeah. And that was really frustrating to me because I didn't think that my home really reflected. I, you know, I just had furniture from Ikea and West Elm and CB2 and all the places everybody buys furniture from. So of course it didn't really look necessarily unique to me. And so it was really frustrating when I was posting photos like that of like coffee shops and my home of these places that really had nothing to do with me. It was just other people's other brands stuff in my space. Yeah. And, uh, and it really frustrated me that I was getting so, so much higher engagement on that stuff. Yeah. 
<laughs> and uh, yeah. so when I moved into the house that I currently have, I decided to finally make it my own space. So it's full of toys I used to have when I was a kid. It's That's full cool. of furniture I've collected from the street and places that just furniture from grandparents and things that matter more to me. And there's like clowns everywhere. It's it's something and it's a space that's more unlike any a place that anybody else could have because it's such a reflection of who I am. Mm-hmm. And so figuring out and combing the combing <laughs> the combing. <laughs> that's very relaxing. <laughs> the combing through through you know, Instagram was just part of it, but it was a lot about combing through everything else that I'm doing and Mm -hmm. really transforming every part of my life to be more unique to me, which has been really, really fun. And it feels so empowering to finally shed trends and what other people expect my space to look like and feel like, and just do it in a way that makes me feel really great. And is totally a reflection of who I am is it's amazing. I love it. And it sounds like to me, this goes. This is kind of a uh, a way I think about uh, creative career development. In this way of, I always talk about. There's a pro, there's a process of fitting in before you stand out, and there's that r- learning the rules before you break them, that kind of thing. But there's this period of time that it seems like lots of people go through where they're you know they are kidding it out their house with all of the trendy things, all the things that this is the style of the day. And there, and I think that, I think lots of us want to skip that part of the process because it doesn't sound creative. It doesn't sound like thinking out of the box. It doesn't sound like being yourself. You know what I mean? Like there's so many things, it, it goes up against all of the sacred cows of being a great creative. And that's, and I think that's because it isn't about being, that isn't being a great creative. That's being a good creative. In the business world, there's a guy named Jim Collins. Doesn't he sound like a business he, guy? He does, yep. Very famous. Um, and one of the things he talks about is the hedgehog principle. Oh, boy. Let's um, have it. <laughs> so, and it's something just... There's three components, but one of the components is about doing what only you can do. The only thing in the world that only you can do and figuring out what those things are. For me, that has been kind of a difficult pill to swallow because I think you don't want to get so caught up in that that you're stopping before you're starting because you're like oh that's been done or what you know whatever oh, yeah kind of to, to an extreme but I do I find it if I take it with um a grain of salt and if I just kind of like think about out of all the hundreds of things that I want to do which of these nobody really is doing nobody can do that like I can do that um and I love that you said that what what uh, how does that play out for you recently? Yeah, I am always waiting for epiphanies like that. And they happen sometimes yeah. where I realize, oh my gosh, I can do something in a way that no one else has done it before. And the people want it right now. Yeah, And that is the motivation <laughs> yeah. that I'm, that I need in order to just kind of drop everything and go hundred percent for that new thing that I want to do. Yeah. And it happens to me constantly. It happened to me whenever I was making my full-time you stuff. Um, I had been doing similar curriculum, basically full-time you for other brands and like creating classes for them. And 
wasn't a hundred percent doing full-time you it was kind of around the sphere of that and in the process i was like shoot i just really want to do this my way because i can do it in a way that's unlike anything anyone's done before and people really want it right now and if i don't do this right now somebody else might do it and it might not be as good as the way i could do it and so those epiphanies are so powerful because it gives me motivation and thinking about the fact that I'm doing it for other people because they need it right now keeps me going and it keeps me to make sure that I follow through with it. Yep. Do you, when you, something like full-time you, uh, but also some of your new endeavors, what are you thinking about what you're bringing to the table that's different? Do you think about, you know, what are the different overlapping things that you're bringing to the table that's different to anybody else? Yeah, usually it's a combination of the exact skill set that I have. Being a designer is so helpful whenever you also have a business mind or if you're creating a business. True. Yes, I, can, so, I know exactly so, so, what you're talking so, about. So, so helpful. So if I can come up with a business idea or something that usually is poorly designed, already it's going to be a little bit better and a little bit different than what other people have seen before. So especially with full-time you, um, but now I'm working on a meditation podcast, very similar process where it's like self-help and self-discovery books and meditation space is usually not beautifully designed or well-designed. It's certainly not designed in my style at all. So finding areas where I can bring my specific style into that space has been really wonderful for just visually setting my thing apart from other things. Um, but also just thinking about my personality and what does my personality have that when you combine it with the thing I'm trying to do, when you combine it with the, my ability and my skill set as a designer, thinking about what about my personality can I bring into this? And a lot of it for me is the fact that I naturally just think everything's funny and I don't take anything seriously. So a lot of times it frustrates me that humans will take any concept and make it very serious. And so I'm always looking for ways to take traditionally serious things that don't necessarily need to be serious and making them a little bit more lighthearted. And so that's something that I can do. And whenever you take the fact that I love doing that, making serious things lighthearted, the fact that I can design and the fact that I have these specific skill sets and interest in this topic or whatever I'm trying to do, and you mush it all together and it makes something that I can do that other people can't. Yeah. Do you want to talk about your podcast? This will be next year when it comes out. Yeah. Because okay. <laughs> I feel like now we're getting to we could, talking around that's this right. thing. That's right. Yes, the, I'm circling around it yeah, like let's a hawk. Tell us. So I don't know what's happening to me, but <laughs> I, um, so I was recently planning an event with someone where they were like, I, I would like to create a full-time you mashup workshop. They were just certified as a yoga teacher and they said, uh, let's do a workshop together where we do yoga and meditation during the full-time you workshop. And I thought, wow, that's a really fun idea. People would love that. Mm-hmm. And then I, my heart dropped because I was like, wait a minute, am I going to have to lead the meditations? That would be bad <laughs> because I would be laughing the whole time and it yeah. would be really silly. I don't even know what I would say. And this other person said, oh no, 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 I'll do it. I'll do it. Don't worry about it. And so enough time passed and I thought, wait a minute, why don't I lead meditations? Why, why would weird and funny meditations be bad? Mm. Most meditations are like, Oh, you're sitting on a beach. (laughs) Ah, feel the sand beneath your toes. You're in ya somewhere in the distance. Yes. Pure Ah. moods. And so I thought, what would a meditation (laughs) be if I let it and I really like, I like the ones where you're sitting, you're like you, it's about you doing something. Mm -hmm. 
and it's a story about, and you're able to feel things and, and really imagine them and picture them. And I love where it takes you to another place yeah. and creates an alternate rea- reality for like you a for a little bit. First person story meditation. Exactly. Yeah, yes. Like and I like the way I feel after I come out of it because it just takes you away from your life for just a second and puts you in a different life mm-hmm. in a different scenario for just a little bit. And then whenever you come out of it, you feel better. You feel different than when you started. Yeah. And I like that, but why can't that be fun? Why can't that be funny? And so that's what I've been focusing on and trying to do and is write these stories and then record them essentially that are a little, a little bit funny, but also very useful. So like the first episode of Paul Rudd picks you up and you go (laughs) shoe shopping together. Yeah. And because it's me and I love chain businesses and Uh restaurants, there's just like, it's, it's a smattering of, Burlington Coat Factory and Famous Footwear and and all these places that I've never been to before, but I (laughs) describe in great detail in each episode. Yeah. I, first of all, I've heard that episode and it's amazing. It's genuinely amazing. I, the, the idea, have you ever heard of yoga laughing? Yes. Okay. It it feels like a weird, I, I can't believe, I'm sure some kind of, comedy yoga meditation thing has been done before in some way but this way of doing it 100% authentic and 100% silly at the same time uh, is such an unusual experience and I found it to be really relaxing in a way that that often with meditation or yoga usually you have to push push for some effort. That's the problem. You have to put some effort to slip into it, but there's something about what you're doing where it's like, uh, uh, it's it, for lack of a better word, seduces you into relaxation. (laughs) You're welcome. Uh, (laughs) I thought you'd appreciate it. Um, but it does, you're just like, all of a sudden you're like laughing and you're into it and you're listening for the next ridiculous detail and you are losing your own thinking and losing your own, um, yeah, sense of self kind of thing. And you're wrapped up in this other story and it, it's amazing. Good. I, I, I am such a huge fan of it. I'm glad it works because yeah. that was, that was the worry whenever I first started doing it is maybe meditation's never fun and a little bit funny because it doesn't work anymore right. if that's the case. And I don't think it is. I think you could really describe anything in detail in a soothing voice and it will become meditation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Actually. And also I wonder, I'm sure that there's some studies on this. Like if you go to a comedy show, I bet there are some, like I, I've heard that, uh, you know, your heartbeats will sync up when, and you're, when you're laughing oh at the same gosh. time, like all, there's like a oneness thing that happens. Yeah. And I'm, and everybody knows when you leave a good comedy show, how different you feel than when you go in. And I wonder what I would be really interested to know. What are the patterns that are replicated in both scenarios? And also, I just think for me, I'm really, when I'm in a medic, um, uh, a meditation or a, a yoga situation, <laughs> I'm feeling like, I'm distracted by how weird it is what we're doing. Like I'm, I'm distracted by the seriousness in which we're talking about, you know, just really crazy things. And I, I'm happy that it exists. I'm weird, but it's very, it's distracting when you're like, wait a second, if anybody else just walked in in the middle of this, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So I like it gives you like, I, I'm all about, you know, anytime I'm doing something really serious, I always, I want it, even Everything I like is like that. I want a little bit of like, let's laugh at ourselves too. 
Um, and it, it's fantastic. What's it called? It is called Sit There and Do Nothing. <laughs> uh, yeah. And it, by the time you hear this, it'll be live. Go check it out. Um, it's going to be on our podcast network. That's right. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm super pumped about it. Um, okay. Let's talk about it as a creative project because yes. I think that, um, you know, we both uh, agreed that starting a podcast and having these lofty goals uh, is... Uh, you know, one way ticket to sadness. Absolutely. And, but I think, you know, we talked about even just like the smaller goals can have uh, a lot of benefit to, you know, you took this opportunity to make a personal project in branding, right? Like, Absolutely. Yeah. Because talk about, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So especially with the brand of this particular podcast, it, it's a hard thing to brand because I need people to stumble upon the podcast and realize that it's not a regular meditation podcast. Yeah. Um, so I need people to realize immediately that it's weird. It's weird stories and they're going to be a little bit funny and different than what you're normally expecting. And so as a branding exercise, I had to lean into that as much as possible. So I had to take from a lot of the points of inspiration that come naturally from my mind, because these stories are such a reflection of the things that I think about in my brain. Mm -hmm. It's all me and everything that just comes out of my mouth while I'm doing the improv improvisational dear god <laughs> improvisational yeah there we go exercises <laughs> during thinking about all of these stories so i had to make sure that the branding was reflective of how weird the stories are and a lot of the themes that come up in my life and in my work and in my writing are of like clowns and circuses and mimes always yeah that, they can't deny those they just come up um there's a lot of stuff about that in the <laughs> podcast and yeah um and and things that are just weird and, and brand names and all of that. And, and so I had to reflect that in the branding as much as possible. So the branding is like circus colors. It's very loud. It's very bright and, uh, visually loud. And also I had to take a photo and figure out how to take artwork for the cover of the podcast. Mm. That was very literally expressive of what it was so that people that were on, you know, their podcast app would understand right away and or at least be intrigued enough to click on it and see what it was uh-huh. and so the the podcast cover art i had to take a photo that was very literal and i'm like in meditation pose also wearing funny glasses mm-hmm. so that way you're just like okay sh- meditation but funny <laughs> and that's it <laughs> so <laughs> hopefully hopefully that's coming across it is i love okay there's so much to talk about there because um Everything you just said is why the result is so good. And I mean that like uh, when I saw the artwork, how I, this is from, uh, you know, training as a designer. Sounds very serious. But spending a lot of time in the design world and uh, like when I design a mural, I'm not thinking about what kind of picture do I want to draw? I I never, never crosses my mind. What crossed my mind is, as lame as this maybe sounds, what's the problem I'm trying to solve? And that's really, really what I'm thinking about is I designed this mural out there and I thought, you know, if if the mural is in a hallway or an alley, it can assault you with color and insanity because you're just passing by. Yes. But if you're sat there all day staring at this thing or you're taking video and photos in front of this thing, it cannot be constantly competing. You need some visual space. You know, all these problems, you know, defining what I'm trying to do, right? And what would be a good mural in that particular way? When I saw your podcast art, the what I see as 
this is great podcast art. It, uh, and I'm very obsessed with defining like what is good. So like, <laughs> especially from thing to thing, like yeah. uh, good, good TV or good, a good talk does not necessarily make for a good podcast. Um, because the, what people want from a podcast is different. And so you just described all of these considerations, uh, that were design considerations that led to this piece being so great. And I'm just highlight. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, I think, well, I think different things drive everyone differently. And uh for me, everybody has fears that drive them and mine is being judged by other people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so what I do is I always think, okay, thinking about every kind of person and how would they judge me and what would they be frustrated by and how can I prevent that from happening? So I, I imagined the, you know, 65 year old woman who has a podcast app. That's like, I want to meditate before I go to sleep. What happens if she finds my podcast? How is she going to feel like if she's, if it's misrepresented and she's like trying to go to sleep and then all of a sudden, why is Paul Rudd at my door? That sort of thing. Um, and so I, I try to consider everyone's Why needs and feelings. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's a spoiler. Spoil. We can cut it out. I'm sorry. Anyway. And, and so, uh, yeah. So I try to take in consideration every counter argument of what I'm doing just because I'm so afraid of being judged. And then I make sure that it's accounted for, but it ends up creating a more well-rounded piece that is serving my audience better mm-hmm. than if I were just thinking about myself. Cause this is such a reflection of me and really I am just doing whatever I want. But it, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's something I'm creating to help people. So I want to, it to actually help people. Yeah. And so I just have to keep thinking about the people and what they want throughout the process as well. That, uh, and so everything you're just describing again, these are like key cornerstones to design in terms of, uh, there's an intuitive, empathy that's happening you're literally the empathy of putting yourself into a billion different types of people interacting with this thing what are they going to feel what are they going to think and that i you know it's interesting too um i feel like i have that tendency too and when i was in uh when i was younger and i still do this i'm sure but a problem with that intuitive empathy is that when you realize you are things that people won't want you have tens, you try to be someone that you're not, yes. right? Like I did that in high school and also early, oh, yeah. early career. Um, and I think, uh, have you, you've experienced that too. That might be a tangent that we don't need to run down. But <laughs> there you go. Yeah, absolutely. Brain. I think that my work with full-time you really set me up for this because I'm giving blanketed advice on how to have a fulfilling life and career that needs to apply to everybody. Yeah. So it's really helped me to see lives and careers from all viewpoints and listen to people. I mean, a great first example of that is the idea of safe spaces. I, Mm -hmm. I teach a lot about creating safe spaces for other people to be themselves or finding a safe space to be yourself, which is very important. And a lot of people just will never feel safe wherever they go because of who they are. And that was, that was something that I had to learn and listen to different perspectives from and alter the things that I say, um, in order to account for those, those people. And so you, you're inherently never going to be able to think of everybody 
because our worldviews are so limited. All of us are. And so it's helpful to sit back and listen and really think about individual people that I've met along the way, or just thinking about all kinds of people. And when it comes to guided meditation, it's so hard because I have to say, you're sitting in your chair and I have to say like, you're, you're, you're going shopping for, and I have to, I have to constantly be saying things that every, that could apply to everybody. So everything I write has to be something that is written for, that would apply to anybody. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) it's hard. It's hard to do that. It's hard to think like, what would you be going to Burlington Coat? factory to buy that everyone would buy from Burlington, Burlington <laughs> coat factory, but it couldn't be a coat. I didn't want it to be a coat. Yeah. And so I, you know, it's, it's a fun creative thinking exercise, but it really helps me to empathize with all people and think, what would everybody want to wear? Like what, what, what thing is universal to, to all people that would listen to this podcast? I also love when you talked about, um, you know, whenever you, it, is kind of it's similar to illustration. Like if you're doing an editorial illustration, you'll be thinking about what are the key symbols that I'm trying to communicate, what this article is about. And it might be like, you know, you're trying to boil it down to the core pieces and the symbology of what represents that? What, rep- you know, how do you get that instant thing? And so this idea of like meditation pose, silly glasses, like, and this whole thing about like you went, you went to a silly voice when you talked about it, but the marketers will talk about like, um, the grunt test, which is like, uh, like everything that we do expends calories. So anything that's confusing is going to cost you more calories to figure out. And so those things are things we ignore. If we see a, a podcast art and we're like, we have, it, have no idea what it's about. There's 15 conflicting symbols and, or there's, it's just a mess. We're not even going to engage in it. But the fact of getting down to that grunt test that you described in like, uh, you know, almost baby language or something yeah. like <laughs> that, like that's good design. That's good podcast art. And I, yes, it's awesome. Thank you. It. Um, okay. Real quick. Two other things. I just got in your face. I'm sorry. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm very pointy. I know yeah, it's like, you're not supposed to point. You're not? I don't think so, but no. I do it all the time. I'm not offended okay, thanks. by your fingers. I feel better about that. Um, <laughs> two things I've thought about uh, for you, um, and I'm, I'm glad to hear you're doing events because yes. I'm constantly thinking about how you should be putting on experiences um, yes. because that is just, I think, who you are. And then the other thing is, and uh, we can just kind of talk about it from a bunch of different angles, is have you, I'm sure you've already done this, but the, what you do for full-time you, uh, where you're really helping people self-actualize, do you find that to be the same thing you're doing when you're branding? For a company? Absolutely. Yeah. I f- it, in my head, it feels exhausting because everything I do feels like I'm just talking about the same points, thinking through the same points. <laughs> yeah. And yes, and, and when it comes to branding, in most of this, and that's why I knew I had something amazing with Full-Time You is this is just how my brain thinks. It's how my brain has always thought since I was a kid. And it was really frustrating me for me whenever I was growing up because my brain kept thinking about the world in this way that clearly no one else was really thinking about or yeah. it wasn't normal. Yeah. And so when it comes to branding, I also find it really frustrating because people don't brand companies or whatever the same way as I do. And it's the same work as I do with full-time you. I try to figure out what makes the personality of the brand different from other brands and make it different and reflective of that. And so what that means is like, say, and 
forgive me. I've never had a job, so (laughs) I don't know. I actually don't know what the branding process is like at agencies Uh and other brand design studios. Yeah. (laughs) So because I've always been a freelancer, so which has been a challenge to try to figure out how to brand businesses when I've never done it before and don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. And so whenever I first started doing brand design, I thought, okay, I think mood boards are a thing. I think everyone's using mood boards to, to (laughs) design brands. So I would do that. And I would say, here are three mood boards, client, one direction, second direction, third direction. They all look very different. Which one do you like? Pick one and we'll do that. And the outcome was sort of like, okay, they were supposed to just pick one. And then I would take that style and just make that style for them. Yeah. And I thought that's what I was supposed to do. And it felt so wrong to Mm. just be like, here's all these other people's work and we'll just recreate that. But with your brand name Mm. and we'll just do that. That's the mood board you chose. We'll do that. And it really bothered me that that's how it was working out. Um, because then I was just emulating trends and doing the same thing everybody else was doing. And then the brand looked trendy and maybe what if it went out of style soon? And it really worried me. And then I kind of realized like, why, why is it a bad, because I, I, I casually heard people say how frustrating it was when the client's like, Oh, I like things from all three. And then they like pick things like mix and match things that they like about all three. And then you're like, no, I have to do a revision on these mood boards. And so, (laughs) and, and for me, it got, it made me really excited when they liked the stuff from all of them, because whenever I had to take, oh, they liked art deco style illustrations with like really bold shaped colors and, um, then like really ornate floral swooshes. And so this is, this is uh, where it gets good. Yeah. And I was like, well, if we take all those things and we smush them together, it's going to create something that looks completely different than any, anything yeah. else. Yeah. And that it was another epiphany that I had because that's how I've always thought about people is we're all different personality traits that may be similar to one another. We mm-hmm. all have things in common, but when we smush it all together, it makes a person that's unlike anybody else. And, yes. and so thinking about yourself as a person and if you want to use the term personal brand that's fine <laughs> but also thinking about brands it's like, the same I, thing before you said thinking about yourself as a personal brand that's fine the first sentence you said i thought huh <laughs> thinking of yourself as a person like <laughs> if you want to think of think yourself what? as a person i don't <laughs> like, but if that's fine uh, yeah um <laughs> anyway so, sorry uh, Um, yeah, so I, I think my work with brands is so similar to the work that I do with people and, and helping them figure out how to create, figure out what their identity is, whether from an actual personal standpoint, but also from a brand standpoint and the work that I do with actual clients and brands is so similar. I love that. And actually I talk about this too, of I will, I will speak with somebody and we're trying to get to the bottom of what makes you unique. And they're always looking for one word. And I'm always like, no, don't do that. It's like, too hard. It's the sum of these things. The sum of these things has never been put together. And I, I like to think of it like DNA. I don't know this for sure, but I think there's four different proteins and they can combine in this infinite amount of things, but it's the four same things. Um, and I think that in the same way that you might have this in common with Sally and this in common with Pedro, but there. I tried, I reached, I was looking, what names can I well, go? Well, you said Sally first, that's my mom's name, so <laughs> I thought maybe you were going to say my dad's name next. <laughs> I, I should have done my research, um, but uh, but you that would have been good, see, like, because that is DNA, your yeah. literal DNA. Um, <laughs> but yeah, how can you, it's, it is the combination of those things, and I had the same experience where um, I kept doing stuff in uh, like mid-century modern vibes, and then I would do the stuff that felt like Fraggle Rock, and I, at some point I was like, 
put them on the same thing. And yes. it feels so weird. And when you're doing it, you're like, this isn't going to work. This like, won't this work. This is yeah. weird. But that, as soon as you're feeling that, you're like, that's the, that's what it feels like to do something different. That's yeah. the magic. There it is. Yeah, that's right. Um, I think, oh, one more thing. Um, uh, you're on the new roster of Co-Loop. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which I'm super thrilled about. And I thought I could ask you, as someone who has a lot of history with Ghostly Ferns as a collective. Absolutely. What have you learned about the power of working together and, and what teach me something? I think that, well, you are, you already have this, but I think whenever you move into a situation that's kind of like a collective or a collaborative you really learn to get excited about what makes other people better than you in different ways. Mm. Um, so like I was saying earlier with skill sets and being okay with somebody else being diff- better at a different thing than you and, yeah. and learning how to utilize each other and lean on each other for support on those things. So that say for me, I can't, I'm not very good at complex illustrations. Mm. So having somebody on my side and in my team and in my life, that I can constantly bring in every time a client of mine or something I'm doing needs those complex illustrations rather than banging my head against a wall and being frustrated with myself for not being able to do it that well. Um, and I, if I cannot do that and, and just embrace and be proud of somebody else and bring them in and support them, it creates such better work whenever Mm. you work together than if you work on your own. But I think having environments where you support each other as individuals and really empower each other and lift each other up as individuals is so important. So everyone can shine individually, but whenever you mush all yourselves together, you shine better together. Absolutely. That is the heart behind this whole endeavor. Uh, you know, the, all through it, I'm thinking about, um, I've talked about how with the podcast, I was constantly trying to get individuals to empower themselves as individuals. And I feel like um, at some point, realizing like that can only take you so far. It's a part of the journey. It's really important for you to own your own path. But at some point, you're going to reach a ceiling and you can only break through it with the help of other people. Absolutely. And I and and I also uh, loved what you were saying about um, going back to this idea of instead of looking at other people that do things better than you and thinking and being jealous or competitive or trying to emulate or, or you know, reach for that. I feel like I never had thought about how that feeling of ego, it's a real, an ego thing would say like, I need to be the best at all things or yep. that <laughs> collaborating is like an antidote to that thing of like, I don't have to be the best at that thing. I can just work with the best. Absolutely. So yeah. comforting. I find it so comforting. It's interesting too, because sometimes someone will message me a link to a design and say, did you do this? And they're mm-hmm. like kind of angry and like trying to get me riled up about the fact that <laughs> yeah, somebody to me all the did time. something that looks like it was mine. Yep. And I, I always look at it and think there's no way I could have done that because mm. my brain wouldn't have done it in that way. And having that perspective is so refreshing for me. It feels so good to finally let all of that competition and jealousy go and embrace the fact that everyone's brain is different. If you gave us the exact same color palette and the same font and just said, do something with these colors in this word, in this font, we would make two completely different things. And being okay and being excited about the way somebody else's brain works is it gets you through life a lot easier.
Huge thanks to Meg Lewis, my buddy Meg, uh, for, for doing this interview. It is always a blast. You're so inspiring to me and to our listeners. Thanks for taking the time to dive deep and get personal about all this stuff. Uh, where can we find you on the internet, Meg? Where can you find me on the internet, you ask? Well, let me tell you. I actually just changed over all of my social media handles and my website URL yesterday. So this is fresh. I used to be at darn good, but now I'm at your buddy Meg on Twitter and Instagram. And my URL is now meglewis.com. Yes, I got meglewis.com. Finally, it's very exciting for me. So you can go to meglewis.com and it will point you to all of the things that I do and you can find me there. All right. Uh, yeah, so go check her out, MegLewis.com. She is amazing. She is one of my favorite people on the internet and in real life. Thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Thanks for Alex Sugg. Thanks for Alex Sugg, Universe, because he's here and he made our soundtrack and it's so good. I listen to it while I run sometimes. I feel like I'm transcending time, space, and my physical body. Uh, thanks to all of you for your love and support of this show patreon backers especially we freaking love you patreon backers man you're good to us and so many of you been coming out to back the podcast lately and i'm just super grateful thanks for doing it uh you can go to patreon.com slash creative pep talk if you want to become one of the backers today until we speak again Stay pepped up, stay pepped up. We want you to stay pepped up.